Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Borland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You can probably tell by now that this morning one of every preacher's worst nightmares happened. I woke up and my voice is all but gone this morning because I'm trying to save my voice as much as possible. I'm going to have Dan come forward to read the passage in front of us this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses... 16 to chapter 4, verse 4. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return." Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Both secular and religious poetry has captured the reality of this passage that we have just read. The song by Kansas, Dust in the Wind, talks about the truth of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Here's the first and last verse. I close my eyes only for a moment and the moment's gone. All my dreams pass before my eyes, a curiosity. Dust in the wind, all they are is dust in the wind. Now don't hang on. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. It slips away, and all your money won't another minute buy. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. The hauntingly beautiful poetry of Psalm 90 captures the same truth. 
You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday which is past, or a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning, in the evening, but in the evening it fades and withers. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16 through Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4 is one of the darkest portions of the book of Ecclesiastes. Humans and animals are both dust and will return to the dust. You and I live out our days surrounded by wickedness, facing a coming judgment, dust in the wind, with toil and trouble, facing a return to just, to dust, facing judgment. So let's look now into this dark passage and let's allow Ecclesiastes to depress us enough to press into our Savior, Jesus. The passage begins like this. In the place where justice is, there's wickedness. What the preacher is saying here is that even in the places that are supposed to establish justice, there is wickedness. Even in governments, even in the courts. This has been true within our nation's history. Think of the wickedness that has been established and determined by the Supreme Court of the United States. In 1857, some of this comes by help from a law blog, Dred Scott v. Stanford in 1857, was a horrendous decision. The Supreme Court determined that African Americans, whether they were free or slaves, could not be considered American citizens. It even included a portion uh, that, that it called a, a parade of horribles that would appear if Scott or other, and African, other African Americans were recognized as citizens. They said things like this would happen, that African Americans would be able to vacation, hold public meetings, or exercise their free speech rights. In Buck versus Bell in 1927, the court declared in an 8-1 majority that those with intellectual disabilities could be, for the health and protection of the state, forcibly sterilized by the state. In 1944, Korminatsu versus the United States, the Supreme Court upheld the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. And in Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896, the court's famous separate but equal ruling came down. Roe v. Wade in 1987, the court ruled 7-2 that a right to privacy under the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment extended to a woman's decision to have an abortion, enshrining in the law of the United States a right to infanticide. This is base wickedness from the place of justice. And the first four verses of chapter four start to tighten the screws a little bit further. The preacher says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. The place of justice within any country, 
The place of, of rule, the place of the courts, is the place where authority and power reside. And often that power is used to privilege one group over another, or one race over another, or one culture over another, or one individual over another, like Dred Scott privileged white skin over black skin, and Roe privileged the life of the born over the life of the unborn, or at times courts today privilege those who can afford an attorney over those who cannot. One of the reasons that this passage is as dark as it is, is it speaks with an unflinching honesty. Even in the place of justice, there is wickedness. And we must recognize that within our own country, both historically and presently, there has been, there has been oppression officially enshrined in law. And so let me make an aside here. It's good for us to work for justice. One of the calls of the Christian is to care for the needs of the oppressed. It's to plead the cause of the oppressed. It's working for the changing of laws that enshrine oppression. The preacher then continues. In the place of righteousness, there one can find wickedness. In the place of righteousness, there one can find wickedness. What this means is that even in the church, there's wickedness. Think of the, the truth that within the church there has been, within the past few decades, horrendous sins covered up by the Roman Catholic Church, horrendous abuse of children. And that same sort of abuse has just been revealed to have been taking place within a charismatic reform denomination within the U.S. for the past three decades. And Ron Sider, in an article in Books and Culture that then went on to become a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience, he wrote this. Scandalous behavior is rapidly destroying American Christianity. By their daily activity, most Christians regularly commit treason. With their mouth, they claim that Jesus is Lord, but with their actions, they demonstrate allegiance to money, sex, and self-fulfillment. The findings in numerous national polls conducted by highly respected pollsters like the Gallup Organization and the Barna Group are simply shocking. Gallup and Barna laments evangelical theologian Michael Horton hands us survey after survey demonstrating that evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral as the world in general. It's not surprising that George Barna concludes every day the church is becoming more like the world it allegedly seeks to change. This is wickedness in the place of righteousness. Wickedness in the place of righteousness. And any time we do the work of the preacher and note that there is wickedness in the place of justice, we then must point the finger at ourselves in the church along with the preacher in Ecclesiastes and admit that there is wickedness in the place of righteousness. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself. 
and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude. One of the reasons that this passage is so dark is that it looks with unflinching honesty, even at the places where there should be righteousness, and says, even there wickedness is present. Let me pause here for a moment and give a brief aside. We need to, as a church, say not here. Here we will not lower the standards of biblical morality. Here we will not follow popular trends within the American church. Now as I say that, we can't ever pretend as though this is a sinless place here. We are a church that is just as impacted by the fall as the rest of the world. We, therefore, as a church and as individuals within the church, need to acknowledge that Christ and Christ alone saves. We need to look to him for salvation and then say, I will not join in wickedness for the sake of relevance or for the sake of credibility or for the sake of anything else. Here, At Orland Park CRC, we will not and we must not lower the standard. The preacher then notes in verse 17 that God will judge both the righteous and the wicked. We will be judged. And this is a part of the terror of life for the psalmist in Psalm 90. Why it is that the psalmist says, we are consumed by your wrath and we are terrified by your indignation because judgment is real. And judgment before a holy, perfectly righteous God is coming. And because of Billy Graham's recent death, I want to share with you the way that he addressed this truth. Once he was asked the following question, if all our sins are forgiven, then why does the Bible say we'll have to stand before God to be judged? Does it mean that it isn't enough to believe in Jesus and to put our trust in him as Savior? Here's his response. No, that's not what it means. One of the Bible's greatest truths is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, all our sins were transferred to him. And as we put our faith and trust in him, we are forgiven freely and fully. The Bible says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. This is why we don't need to fear God's judgment once we've committed our lives to Christ, for now we've been cleansed of all our sins. We deserved God's judgment, for we were guilty of breaking his law. But Christ took all our sins upon himself, and he endured the judgment that we deserve. As the Bible says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God therefore freed from the judgment, the negative consequences of judgment. And then comes the bleakest part of the text. Verse 18 and following. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They have the same breath. 
And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. And the preacher spirals into an ever greater bleakness. As he says in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, And I thought of the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who is not yet born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. And I'm going to give you what the Bible says here straight. And I'm going to share what the passage is saying. From every angle under the sun, from every possible merely human perspective, it appears as though there is no difference between those of us who are sitting here this morning and the animals that roam the earth. Not because it seems as though there is no difference. It would have been better, says, it's better for the one who has not even yet been born, says the preacher. And the reason is this. If the Lord tarries, all of us will die. And each one of us will be put in a box and set in the ground and have dirt thrown over our face. And with the passage of time, our bodies will decompose and become the dirt that surrounds us. And everyone who observes this from a purely human angle will say that it looks as though our life was nothing more than the life of an animal. And while we can take pleasure in our work for a brief period of time, says verse 22, even our work is motivated by envy, says 4 verse 4, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Life is filled with wickedness in the place that wickedness should not be. Life is filled with envy and life is brief from dust to dust. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. And the preacher goes on to say, who can tell if there's anything even beyond death? Who can tell if there's anything beyond death? You can't tell by looking. You can't use any one of your senses and by looking or listening or smelling explain that there's something more for us than there is for an animal. And this is the darkest point in the passage. You will die and return to the dust and who knows if there's anything beyond that. How can you tell? How could you ever tell? How could you ever tell? How in the world could any person tell you if there is anything more than death and a return to dust? Well, in order for somebody to be able to tell you that there was more than that, someone would need to have actually passed through death. In order for us to have heard from somebody that there is more than from dust to dust, someone actually needed to have, would have needed to experience death and come out the other side. Someone, someone would have needed to die and then be resurrected from the dead. That, that person could tell us 
if there was more than just dust. Passages like this one that we've just read are dark passages, but they are also reminders of how it is a true joy to trust in Jesus. This is why Jesus came to earth and died and then he rose again from the dead. Jesus passed through death and therefore Jesus can tell us with clarity and with truth that dust is not the end for those of us who trust in Christ Jesus. Here is the promise for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. Life after death. Life everlasting after death. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it so beautifully. It talks about that at the end of our life, that what is mortal is swallowed up by life. This is the promise for Christians. Christians know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so trust in him. Trust in Jesus. Believe in his word. Believe his promises that dust is not the end. Believe the promises of the one who, when he was on the cross, turned to one of the criminals who was next to him and said, Today, today you'll be with me in paradise. Promising us that dust is not the last word. Believe the promises of Jesus Christ who gives us the promise of bodily resurrection. That when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. We will be bodily resurrected. The dust cannot and will not claim us. We who are in Christ will live forever with our Savior. Hallelujah. And if you're here this morning and you aren't in Jesus Christ, then the preacher is talking about your life filled with wickedness, filled with vanity, filled with envy, envy envy-inspired striving, ending the same way as the beast's vanity, breath, and then it's over. So won't you trust in Jesus Christ today? Won't you trust and believe in Jesus and know that in trusting in him, there is the promise not of simply dust, but of everlasting life. Believe in Jesus and know that that dust and death will never, ever have the final word. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we thank you for the straightforward, unadorned honesty of your word. Thank you that you do not sugarcoat the difficult realities of life and of how senseless it sometimes seems. In looking at wickedness in the place where there should be justice, we pray that you would bring wickedness there to an end and that you would let justice, justice ring out. We pray that as there is wickedness in the place where there should be righteousness, even in the church, 
that you would bring an end to the wickedness that exists within the body of believers that exists even among us. Bring it to an end. And we pray that we would cling tightly to the hope that for all who are in Christ, that death and dust is not the final word. And that we can be certain of that for our Savior, Jesus Christ, has passed through death. Give us the hope, we pray, that when we die, our spirit will go to be with you, all of us who trust in Jesus. And give us hope that when Christ returns, that when Christ returns, that we will be bodily raised to everlasting life with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.